Good afternoon and welcome to Managing Patient Communications During the COVID-19 Vaccine Rollout, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Well Health. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take those later in the program, and we'll do a little audience poll, which should be a lot of fun. Nice way to view the screen. Click in the top center, get it in side-by-side mode, then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides the size you would like them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 40 minutes first with our main panel discussion featuring Sri Bardwaj, VP Digital Innovation with Franciscan Health, John Kravitz, CIO at Geisinger Health System, Sandy Andrews, SVP and COO, Clinical Care at Providence Health System, and Meg Aranow, SVP and Platform Evangelist with Well Health. So we've got a lot to talk about, so let's jump right in. Uh, Shri, can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Uh, this is Shri Bharadwaj. Thank you, uh, Anthony, for the opportunity. Uh, Vice President of Digital Health, uh, doing a lot of work around digital transformation, uh, managing Epic applications to figure out how do we uh, transform the organization. Uh, the organization in the past few years uh, was uh, uh, has been moving towards doing a lot of work in in changing how we operate as a system. Um, there were uh, going back to many years. There were several hospitals in various locations, and they were not collectively uh, becoming a system. Now, what is happening is the is the transformation that's happening around uh, standardizing on processes, procedures, and everything else that will get everybody to a standard platform uh, that we use across, as well as uh, uh, helping patients, uh, irrespective of where they go, get that same um, <clears throat> care uh, that is Francisco is known for. So that is what uh, we are in the middle of doing. Uh, it's, a, it's a transformational journey, uh, three-year transformation journey that we are in. Uh, we had a little bit of setback, I would call it, with COVID-19, uh, but actually, in some respects, catapulted our way to get uh, digital uh, embedded into the organization, uh, video visits and stuff like that. So a um, lot of change, a uh, lot of good feedback, and great and be- great benefits for our patients. Excellent. Very good. John? Yes. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate the opportunity. John Kravitz? I'm the corporate CIO for Geisinger Health. We are an academic integrated delivery network. So we have medical school, about 500 physicians in training, um, as well as a health plan of about 600,000 members and a clinical enterprise serving about 3 million patient population. Um, We've gone down the journey a long time ago with Epic and we've standardized through all acquisitions or mergers uh, to bring everyone onto that standard platform within our enterprise. So um, our work and my responsibility as corporate CIO is all of the strategic planning. Um, a lot of our initiatives are around digital, as Shri had just mentioned. Uh, we do a lot of digital transformation. We are in a process of rolling out a lot of digital change, CRM and other things, but uh, really important that we're aligned to the organization's strategy for future growth opportunities 
and um, and excited about the opportunity moving forward. So I'll stop there, Anthony. Very good, John. Thank you, Sandy. Hey, John and Anthony. Thanks so much. I am excited to be here. I'm Sandy Andrews. I'm the SVP and COO of Clinical Care for Providence. I have. Um, also had a unique opportunity of owning our COVID response for the system. And most recently, this vaccine czar, essentially, uh, as we've been planning and now administering. Um, for those that don't know, Providence is a nonprofit health system. We go from Alaska down to Orange County, across over to Texas, and we're mission driven. It's about health for a better world, and we really serve all patients and we strive for uh, making sure that we are connected in our communities and, and really a provider of choice. Um, my role has evolved as I came in um, as chief operation officer for our clinical care division. And it's really been an amazing opportunity to use COVID to instigate and create the change that we want in healthcare and have been able to um, get some of the transformation. So I agree from everything from telehealth and virtual care to even how we're thinking about systems that connect us to be a system of systems. So very excited to be here today and share what we've learned. Very good. Thank you. Meg? Hey, thank you, Anthony. And hey, everybody. It's nice to be with you uh, from Well Health, the sponsoring organization today. Well Health was originated about six years ago, just shy of six years, to provide the last mile of patient communication. Our founder took as, as his mission and his vision, uh, the idea of moving healthcare into concierge service, best in class service for, for our patients. Um, a goal we, we, uh, we enter the market knowing that we miss somewhat and that we're here to try to improve. What WELL does is it takes your existing systems, many of which have their own communication mechanisms sort of bolted on, often as an afterthought and often perhaps not as strongly performing as their core missions of each of those systems. And we unify your messaging into a single thread, most often through SMS, to reach patients in a meaningful and timely way and to give them a consistent experience across all of those systems with which they might interface. Uh, my role at Well as a former CIO is to make sure that we're good listeners and that we're providing solutions that really are intended to deliver on addressing the challenges that each of our customers have. So I kind of facilitate those conversations in whatever way is necessary. And again, happy to be here. All right, Meg, thank you. All right, John, we're going to start with you on this question. How has your vaccine rollout gone so far? What groups have been vaccinated and what is the sequence going forward? What have been the bottlenecks? And I think we all, at least in New Jersey, we feel like there's some. Uh, what have been the bottlenecks, both internal and external? Yeah, I think uh, to for our organization, we've been pretty progressive in vaccinations for COVID-19. Um, employees have all been on the docket. Um, in fact, I've you know in IT, we were the third group originally. And, uh, and we actually opened it up right before Christmas uh, for everyone's schedule to get in to get their vaccinations. And uh, <clears throat> so I've, I've gotten mine, both, both of those. And, um, and I could tell you, I think uh, some of our challenges, because I've heard opportunities on how New Jersey and Florida and others have done drive-in vaccination clinics where people actually 
get the shot while they're in their vehicle. They park on the side for 15 minutes and just keep moving through the chain in the process. Pennsylvania is not that progressive. I think our inhibiting factor is our, our actual, our leadership is not, it up until last week has been very slow in moving us forward. Uh, but you know, us as an organization, we've been very proactive um, serving patient populations that, are, that aren't even necessarily Geisinger patients. So uh, we're hearing a lot of positive accolades from competitive healthcare systems that we're providing services to. Um, with regard to the number of vaccinations that have taken place, it's well over 25,000, closer to 30,000 that have taken place in our, in our service area, uh, which started about a month ago. Uh, we want to step that pace up. In fact, we're opening new vaccination clinics in different buildings that we have in different geographic locations in order to expedite. Uh, now, and phase 1A in Pennsylvania extends to, um, you know, the, uh, the first responders all over, police, fire, whatever that may be, or EVS. Um, so, or I'm sorry, EMS uh, participants would take part in that. We've also opened it up to patients 65 or older or 16 to 64 that have a chronic disease condition. And it only has mm -hmm. to be one chronic disease condition. So we are moving quickly uh, using our EPIC system to schedule. Um, part of the challenge has been for us, um, we are looking at the open scheduling capabilities of it, but uh, we will continue to use EPIC to schedule our appointments, get the patients through. Um, and really step up the pace. We we are excited about the opportunity to uh, to get you know our patients. All the employees have been done now, but our patients um, through this process. And and I think we have a pretty decent rate, you know, because it is voluntary, and we have over seventy to seventy five percent of our employees have been vaccinated. And I think they're being encouraged to go back and, and get vaccinated. So we'd like to get it closer to hundred percent what we have with flu vaccinations um, because we wanted to really try to minimize the, the amount of people getting sick, especially our employees with flu and COVID at the same time. So, so John, you feel you, you see the leadership uh, state leadership as it, it could be inhibiting your, you could be doing other things if you were allowed to, you see things being done in other States that you cannot do. So, it's, you could see a scenario where a health system has a ceiling on what it can do based on leadership on the political side. Yeah, I think that statement, Anthony, prior to last Thursday, I believe, is when it opened up considerably. Uh, prior to that, it was strictly first responders and employees of the health system, and everything else was being kind of held back and curtailed. Uh, now that's opened up considerably. I think it's just the beginning of the wave. When we open up to the general population to get COVID vaccinated, I think we're going to see a tsunami of new activity coming in, and I welcome that. I think that's what we need to see and do. Um, so we're we're very uh, we're optimistic about it, but we're also cautious. We don't want to overrun our epic system. <laughs> you yeah. know, you do that. I've I've heard of instances where um, you know electronic health records can get inundated and get knocked down because of the, the the large volume of transactions hitting the databases. So we're very cautious about that and taking precautionary measures. Very good, Sandy. Sure. Um, so how has COVID vaccine rollouts gone for Providence? I would, I would go into the three buckets that we have been looking at as far as our response. So 
First is the bucket of caregivers. And similar to John, we are at a high percentage of our caregivers that have been vaccinated. That was the first group. And then the second bucket is patient and the third is community. And I'll talk to them in a second. Um, but with our caregivers, and, and again, we all started in mid-December and rolled through the holidays. It was a big effort for us at Providence. Um, we have over 120,000 employed employees or caregivers as we call them. And we have another 100,000 uh, non-employed. And so managing these providers was a pretty big task to just really understand who we were going to vaccinate first. And so we built a validate and verify database. We literally took all the systems that we had, whether you logged into Epic, whether you know got a paycheck from us, we took all that and we created a database. And then we were really looking at your role and your work location. And that was how we prioritized our vaccine for our caregivers. So identifying the roles and the work locations that were of the highest risk and built a system that and then notified really your, your sort of your place in line, essentially. You were notified via text or email that you were eligible and then um, able to schedule that first appointment in December. I'm proud to say we've had over 100,000 caregivers start their vaccination. Um, over 50,000 are completed with both, both series. Uh, we are well on our way to having vaccinated our, our caregivers and so feel really good about that group. Now you get into the, and, and if you were to ask me one bottleneck or one piece of, of the biggest learning that we've had is how important that second dose communication is, people really have a second dose anxiety, right? Like I need that appointment. When am I going to get it? And um, that was probably the biggest lesson for us. And when we had much more success upon arriving for your first dose, we then scheduled your second dose. Um, but as we think about these other patients and community vaccinations, I think we really need to think about how we're making sure that folks have um, even, even when they would have an appointment for the second dose, there's an anxiety of like scarcity. Like, will that dose be there? I want to make sure my appointment's confirmed. Are you sure it's Moderna? Is it Pfizer? To the, to the point that I think we have to, um, really handhold and help people understand, uh, the two dose series. Like, is it the right day? What do you, do you think this day is too soon? I'm, I'm 27, not 28 days and that type of, of information. So that's probably, um, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a bottleneck as much as it's something you really have to think about in your communication all up. And so um, I would tell you that the entire vaccination process has been a, you know, a monumental effort, so many different teams coming in from um, technology to our hands-on, we, we our quality and safety teams really creating uh, ways in which we have a color-coded sticker that goes on the card to help people understand Moderna and Pfizer. We've um, taught them how to take a picture and we have a, a solution for um, digital, uh, taking that card and, and creating a digital credential. Um, so those types of, of solutions to really help in the caregiver space are teaching us what we're doing in our mass vaccination clinics and reaching out to kind of community and patient. And I'd tell you, um, I'm sure our conversation will go there. It's it's quite like, are we focused on patient or are we focused on mass vaccination clinics where patients are also there has been um, a big part of where uh, Providence is at. And I think if, if 
our vaccine tracker, I think from a doses, we've, you know, um, collected over 200,000 doses and administered right there um, at that same amount. So Providence um, end to end across the system has really done its part to uh, get doses in the arms of as many as we can. Excellent. Those are interesting points about the second dose, and I think we'll follow up on that in a little bit. Uh, Sri? Uh, I will give you a two-state perspective on this. Uh, we have uh, Indiana that is administered to the state of Indiana, uh, and then we've got Illinois that is uh, managed by us through EPIC. So two kind of perspectives, uh, de definitely different. Um, for the Indiana state, it's very prescribed. You got to go register yourself. You got to provide some uh, credentials that you are a clinical care worker and you have face-to-face -face interaction with the patient, so on and so forth. There is a process you go through. It's a workflow-based process that Indiana state uh, works through. And it, they have a state database that actually captures this information. Of course, we get the data back from the state on number of uh, vaccinations that have occurred back to our system because we are integrated. But uh, the first piece is that you go through that process. So we see our patients, anybody on the street who can get the vaccination, go through the state, register themselves and see us. That's one thing. Uh, second thing is um, uh, 70 and above is where we are today. There is uh, talk of a lot of uh, uh, getting the age limit down, but that's something that is still being worked through. So that, that is something that uh, we know for sure uh, we're getting through. On the other hand side, Illinois, right? We've got a hospital in Illinois, a bunch of things we're doing there. Uh, we used uh, MyChart, our, our um, you know, MyChart mobile app. We've got uh, quite a few patients registered through that. So we pushed out uh, communications out to the patients for them to, you know, address that and, uh, you know, get scheduled through the process. We use online scheduling, get through the process, work through. But obviously there has been some differences in, acceptance, I would call it, of patients wanting to come and get the vaccine. I mean, we vaccinated our people, of course, through, you know, where our hospitals are. Uh, but that, that apart, well, we are, uh, we are like uh, Providence, a Catholic-based uh, organization. Um, so we, we have a lot more at stake from a community perspective. So we do a lot of that kind of work. So what we are what we are doing is from an Illinois perspective, using Epic, the build, and everything else, and uh, getting the data back to the state, which is what is required. Whereas on the Indiana side, use the state um, uh, the state database to get the patients in. So when the patients come in, um, and we 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 had the same anxiety around the uh, um, the um, second dose. Uh, the advantage for us is that uh, we, we have a process where we communicate as they walk in and say, this is today and your, your second vaccination isn't this day, so we know exactly what we need to do. I sit on state calls uh, to help them understand how we are doing, and uh, uh, we are shifting from, you know, uh, originally we were doing more first-time vaccinations and second-time later, but now we are shifting to second-time first and first-time later because of the pool of people who have been vaccinated already. So we got a 70-30 split down there, that process. So it's been, it's been uh, very structured uh, from an <clears throat> Indiana perspective, but rather not so very structured from an Illinois perspective. Just to give you that perspective in terms of states. I did have a conversation with my ex-colleagues in California uh, last week, and uh, they have, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, um, 
created a vaccine clinic outside and put a car park uh, for converted a car park to a hospital type of situation and started vaccinating patients, which is uh, which some hospitals have done. Uh, the San Diego folks actually have, uh, you know, in in relation with the county. Uh, started vaccinating people in 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 large um, what do you call those uh, stadiums and stuff, right? So there's so much of this going on all around, depending on who you talk to. Uh, so we are getting lessons learned from all of these and providing the feedback back to the state so we can make the change as we need going forward. All right, very good, Meg. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you've heard? Uh, uh, what piqued my ear was this. Uh, Second dose anxiety uh, sounds like a real patient communication issue. Yeah, so um, what I'm hearing is a lot of what we've heard from our uh, many customers that we're helping through this same kind of issues, right? The things that come up for them, you know, starting out particularly with uh, reaching out and tracking folks that aren't naturally part of their EHR already, uh, people with whom they don't already have a natural rapport and relationship. So, and I heard that. Um, on the panel today. I've heard that. Um, I've, other challenges that they have are these changing priorities, right? Things keep changing. The states keep kind of rearranging. Who's my target audience today? Maybe it's different tomorrow, et cetera. And then along with that confusion, uh, as Sandy said, about or anxiety about second dose. And I'll double down that uh, most of our customers have seen that scheduling the second appointment while you've got the patient in front of you for the first appointment seems to be the most effective and reassuring way of communicating with the patient. So that's uh, at least seems to be best practice from, from our book of business with our customers. Uh, one thing that I um, didn't hear mentioned, but that I have heard from, uh, from some of our customers is this using um, our tool or really any tool for communication to cut through the noise, right? This is such an extraordinary time when your patients are inundated with all kinds of information from authorized uh, folks and, and other places, I'll just say that, right? Unedited places out on social media, et cetera. And so using communication tools to cut through that noise so that your patients are getting really solid data, being pointed perhaps to other authoritative sites that can give them further data um, making sure that at the same time you at your institution are looked to as the caretaker of record, as, as the institution that has their best interests at heart, further strengthening that rapport. That's also been a part of, of what we've been hearing about from our, our customers in terms of how important the communication is today. All right, Meg, thank you very much. Sandy, we're going to start with you. How have you managed patient communications during the rollout, what's, what has worked and what hasn't? Um, I'm actually going to jump to that caregiver communication because I think that was probably where we were innovative and um, talk a little bit about some tools we've used. And then when it comes to patient, it is so variable, right? Whether um, it's owned, I think uh, Siri was saying, you know, what the states are doing, what's happening locally. There's like 17 different messages, whether your pharmacy is reaching out locally. So um, I'll talk about patients in a second. But what we did for caregivers that was unique is we built a pathway in Twistle. So Twistle is an automatic, an automated communication platform um, geared at creating a text-based connection with folks to ask questions and answer. And so for that database of 230,000 folks, we were able to quickly um, get our, our declination. So it's really important for our caregiver health to track and understand 
understand who's consenting, who's declining. And we even had an option to defer. Um, as you recall, in December, there was uh, where are we at on the, the research and the science? And, and so we um, started early on and gave that capability. So we were able to quickly connect and we had tools on the back end that then gave us a sense of, of where folks were at, as well as having them answer questions about their um, work location and their role. So we then knew that we had you in the system as working in this location in this job, but due to COVID, you're actually over here in a much more higher risk location. And none of our systems had those updates. So we had to use this way of helping people truly validate and verify their where they're at. And it's interesting because it's it's that bucket of eligibility that is the same thing that we're having and truly the issues we're having across all the states, right? So first up, you have to say who's eligible for the vaccine. Then you have some mechanism to communicate with them about that eligibility. Then you have the scheduling of the appointment or getting them to the shot. Then you have, or well, we have the consent and the agreements or, or you put that in there and then you have um, scheduling, then you have getting the shot, then you have the follow-up in the whole process. And we actually have to collect that consent and declination on both shots. And so it was easy to do it through a text-based. Um, and if you didn't want to give your mobile number, we were able to do it via email um, through the engine that Twistle provided. So uh, very impressive to have, you know, hundreds of thousands of messages going back and forth on that platform and then consuming all that data into a visual view that in real time, I knew how we were doing. I knew that we had a lot of variants. There are certain uh, ministries or hospitals down in Southern California with uh, much more trepidation. So we could then do a, a caregiver campaign about the science of it versus um, we saw lots of differences in that. We were able to really um, move the needle on our communications from that perspective. So that's that two-way communication that we did early on. Now, if I move to this bucket of patients, it's so difficult because first, you have to define what a patient is, right? I mean, we, we serve um, from urgent care clinics to long-term health to community clinics, to outreach, to, to schools, to um, in the same way that we had to go through real discernment in who are our caregivers that are eligible, you know, whether it's a provider we employ, whether they're a resident, whether they're a student, all that. You, you have a little bit of that to do within the world of patients. And then we, the goal here is just to reduce infection rate in our community, which is getting more and more people vaccinated. So maybe are we, are we missing a step and should we just be focused on getting the mass vaccinations? And I have this visual in my head of, of like, you're going through a toll booth line and there's the line for the, the pass that you have. Well, that's if you're a Providence patient go in this line. If you're not a Providence patient, go in this line. And, and kind of like, can we just serve the greater community in that way of really building the mass vaccination clinics. And so we have been putting a lot of time and effort in, we've built a community playbook. We've talked about, you know, what are the things you have to set up? What will we take accountability for? Is it network infrastructure? Is it bringing Wi-Fi to that site? What, what work is, falls on which piece? And then I think there's something to be said of if we can get more people through the community clinics then it opens this other area of 
those folks that can't go to a community clinic, now we're serving them with that one-on-one clinic experience or mobily going out to them or what it might be. So I think the strategy for vaccinations of where we were literally four weeks ago, thinking first comes uh, caregivers, then comes patients, then community, we've kind of evolved. And, And granted all the variants from the messages we receive from the government and, you know, changing the eligibility. I feel so sorry for all those folks that built those eligibility, you know, systems, right. That to then have it be like, Oh, today we're doing 65 and older or 70 and older now, 65, now 50. Now you're like, I can't keep up. And it's Mm -hmm. county by county. Right. And, and by the way, very few people feel loyal to their county. Oh, you're telling me I can go over here and I can go to, I can, if I'm, if I'm 50 in this County, I can get it. But if I'm 65 in this County and so lo and behold, what are you doing? You're saying, well, I'm headed out over there for my, and so I think there's something to be said and, and around many of our sites, they're not doing validation to what County you're in They're You know, once you're there, it's just get the shots in the arms. So I think there's, um, a lot there. So I guess I'd tell you, we have managed communication well with our caregivers, proud of that work and the partnership with um, Twistle and our different uh, sign-up systems. As we move to patient, it's it's evolving. Very good. Very good. Sri? So from our perspective, it's, uh, as I mentioned, uh, it's very, very different. Uh, our patient communication has been uh, from a um, state perspective uh, different because for Indiana patients, we communicate directly with them when they visit us. They have to register in the state uh, database. So we we have to look back into the state database and look at what they have done. Um, that And there is a workflow process that we work with the state ahead of time so that that could happen. On the uh, Illinois side, we would we built all of the capabilities within within Epic to ask the right questions and the eligibility and so on and so forth. Luckily for us, um, uh, our um, uh, capabilities around Epic, we just uh, did a, a a refresh process for for Epic, so we had the capability to figure out how to make this work, and uh, um, our our um, uh, effectiveness has been through uh, our mobile applications and make it uh, beneficial for patients to get the shots. The second piece uh, I think is more important from a you know a community perspective for for us we when we get into the community and start talking to patients. I mean employees we didn't have much of a problem uh, because we knew where they were coming from. We were we were uh, we were there. Uh, our our patients got our our um, uh, caregivers got the shots. But uh, patients, a completely different scenario. Um, we we struggled with trying to figure out, uh, you know, uh, where they were coming from, what they were doing, and in some respects, they were completely new to us. So we had new patients that we actually uh, checked into our system and got them uh, vaccinated as well. So uh, the the advantage for us to seeing two states adjoining each other. Uh, was very beneficial for us to go back to uh, each of the states and provide them some feedback. Uh, that was very uh, understanding from their perspective because they wanted to understand uh, how is how is it working, and that that's the value that we brought back to the community. Excellent, very good, John. Yeah, so we we're similar, I think, to to what both Sandra and Shri had mentioned. 
you know, we, we started our employee communications and that worked very well. We used a, a database, QuickBase for those people um, and got them through as quickly as we can. So we knew where they're redeployed to and who was in certain areas where um, they'd be at higher risk because of patient treatment areas with COVID patients. Um, so we made certain that we got those prioritized and through the process as long as they were willing to volunteer to, to get the COVID vaccine. When it comes to um, the more of the patient population, we have switched and we do have the questions within our MyChart application within Epic. So it is the screening questions as it stands today in the state of Pennsylvania. We are we're primarily in the state of Pennsylvania um, for our services. So the rules that the Department of Health in Pennsylvania identifies is how we built those questions. And so, um, you know, if, if someone's under the age of 65, but over 16, 16 or older, because with Pfizer, you can get the vaccine at 16, Moderna is 18. Um, <clears throat> so those questions are there. It'll prompt them and, and, you know, push them through to schedule appointments. Actually, our employees now, we've stopped using QuickBase and we wanted our employees who have gone through the first round. And I mentioned 70, 75% of our employees have been vaccinated, at least the first vaccination and working on the second. Um, however, now we are using Epic MyChart uh, for that as well for our employees. So we're trying to push all that through uh, as far as the vaccination process. Communications has come out of our corporate communications department. Um, as soon as this hit the news, however, uh, the floodgates started opening for 65 or older patients because originally it was 75 and then they backed it down to 65. And so, um, you know, a lot of activities started. They published a phone number which overran our contact centers. Um, in one day, we had over 101,000 calls just for COVID uh, uh, appointments. So we quickly shifted and switched over to uh, MyChart to be able to do a lot of that appointment scheduling. And in the first two days, 58% of our appointments are done online real time in MyChart, which was helpful to take a load off our contact centers uh, just to schedule those appointment visits for COVID uh, vaccination. So. Um, they can focus on their normal appointments through the contact centers that they need to. Um, but this communication then went out from, you know, local uh, news stations to our corporate communications. And we use our CRM to target communication to our, our population of uh, MyChart uh, subscribers, if you will. And we have over 600,000 of those. Um, and we think the numbers will grow considerably because now... Um, we, we had always had a rigorous process um, to schedule appointments within and to be able to access my chart. We're opening that up more and more so they can create their medical record number or complete a form. And then we shoot into our medical records team to validate and create the number so it's clean and we don't have duplicated uh, medical records and stuff like that. You know, just little headaches that cause problems for patient identification things because we utilize facial recognition. That's that's part of our plan for patient identification coming into our facilities. And uh, we're in a pilot stage with that now. So we wanna make sure we keep everything as clean and pristine as possible so that as you come through and we, um, you know, we associate an image to a person, to a medical record, we wanna lock it in and go and just mm -hmm. So that's our process. Uh, corporate communications has done a fine job of communicating through Salesforce uh, with targeting communications. And uh, we continue to do that. Now, you know, do I think it's going to get bigger? Yes, I do. I think the next phase from the Department of Health um, from Pennsylvania will get considerably bigger. And I'm not sure how we 
quite want to handle that one yet. So there is work to be done and, uh, and a lot of uh, iterations and brainstorming is underway right now, just in, in preparation for the future. Work to be done. Very true. Uh, Meg, what are your thoughts around what you're hearing? Uh, yeah, it's all, all good stuff. And I'll, I'm sure uh, everyone listening is uh, taking notes and also feeling somewhat reassured that what they're going through, others are also going through, right? So, you know, as soon as we heard that um, these vaccines were going to be approved for emergency use, we got to work on Playbook, which we shared broadly and hits uh, many of the points uh, referenced today. Trying to offload as much as we can, given that we're this uh, automation engine and communication tool, trying to offload the burden that we expected to hit call centers and care management centers uh, through automated conversations around setting up appointments, sending reminders, those kinds of things. Um, I think one thing that wasn't mentioned uh, by the other panelists that we can talk about is that we also are using um, and included in that automation, uh, reaching out to patients about potential reactions to the vaccines. Uh, through our automation, sending reassurance if they were predictable, things like, um, you know, soreness at the injection site, et cetera, but then also offloading conversations directly into, to a care provider if a patient indicates that they were having some more severe kind of reaction. All, all configurable, of course, we're not, we're not in medicine ourselves, so configurable by our customers, but in terms of the patterns we're seeing, um, that seems to be the way people are going. So there seems to be some traction in being able to reassure patients regarding the predictable um, ad or predictable reactions, uh, as well as getting them to that human touch when there's something that's causing them more anxiety. And I think there's some questions that we may take up later in the panel discussion today about um, how to how to effectively manage the load that everyone's expecting to hit their call centers and scheduling centers. So. Um, I think everybody's trying to use automation in one way or another to fill that, that gap. And I think we're learning some things along the way that will persist beyond COVID in terms of the way patients want to be engaged. All right. Very good. I want to get to a couple of uh, audience questions here that have come in. Um, John, I want to start with you because um, I think you clicked on this one, so maybe you want to answer it from our friend Bill Spooner. It appears that uh, in many states, the criteria allows healthcare systems to vaccinate all employees, irrespective of proximity to patient care. Is this your experience, and have you experienced any public backlash as a result? Uh, you know, there's always some concerns uh, from the public when they, but but that wasn't really widely known. I don't think in our communities when we started this process, it was it was publicized in the state of Pennsylvania that uh, we were going to be, you know, the approval was there to start uh, providing uh, vaccinations to healthcare workers, and really um, a number of us do round or we are in meetings in in public, um, you know, healthcare settings within the units. Uh, we do round, we, we do have those discussions. And in fact, I've got three go lives this weekend, uh, major go lives with Epic, and I will be on site throughout the weekend, right around the clock. So, you know, we took the precautions to do that. Um, and we encourage because of redeployment of employees who may be in a, a clerical position or a person who may be an, an IT developer or a systems analyst supporting Epic, for example. And we may redeploy them into an area where we need the help because of the volume of activity with patients coming in. And certainly our hospitals are busting at the seams with COVID patients. So we can't pull people away from those patients. 
So the support personnel are, are required to do that. So I think it's the wise thing to do uh, to get employees vaccinated uh, that volunteer for it. And we are seeing, you know, there was apprehension in the beginning with our employees. Uh, that has lifted considerably as they see others go through it and, you know, survive and do well. Uh, so that apprehension, I think, is lifted. And, uh, and it is the opportunity to get the, the vaccination as soon as possible as an employee, a healthcare worker. And I think many people are taking up on that. In fact, we're seeing quite an uplift in that. And, and I indicated that in a prior comment that we'd love to see it get to 100% so that we can protect our employees, protect our patients. I mean, that's what it's all about. And make sure we can provide optimal care and still you know, treat the patients effectively. And then we will roll the patients in as soon as we get the, uh, the clearance to do such. Very good. All right. Next uh, audience question. I'm going to throw this to you, Shree. Hearing from peers. Yeah, go ahead, Sandra. Let me, Sandra. Let me yeah. just add on to that because I think there's something important to, to remember here that we were all following guidelines and rules, right? And, right. and I, I was, um, we're in seven states and, you know, there's 58 counties in the California. There's 3,006 counties in all of the United States. That's a lot of variants, right? And, and they're all having different rules. We literally had threats in one county that if you give your dose to someone that isn't quote unquote eligible, you can lose your license all the way to other counties who said, it's all about just getting the doses, just grab people off the street, whatever you need to do. Right. Yep. So the, the extremes were so difficult. Mm -hmm. to and by the way, just to remind people, it was the holiday week. It was like the, the week that we got the most doses of all of healthcare was the week that the rest of the world sort of slowing down and we're having mm -hmm. to beat up and get shots in arms of people. And so I just, I think it was this mixture of a lot of different things coming together when you, when you got through. So you get the first doses in the middle of December and you're starting then that holiday week, it was like, okay, we can only put this in the arms of caregivers and we're only allowed to do this. And so all of a sudden it really was opening. And, and we actually had a system where we're like, we still have, we have 2000 appointments. We, we need to open to the next round. And so we were mm -hmm. literally cohorting and inviting and mo moving more and more people in. And then they turned on the ability to say, okay, now you can go out to the community and, and serve those that are healthcare, those that say they're healthcare workers in the community. But I think there's something to be said of just helping people understand what went down right in that yeah. period of time and how absolutely confusing it was to operate. I, I, I saw someone um, talk about, you know, like Cincinnati, where you have a market that's three states, like six counties all coming together. And um, it's just it's it's nearly impossible. So I think there's something to be said where where we created this system about eligibility and um, really complicated it um, and, and definitely put a lot of stress on the same healthcare system that is responding to the COVID surge in December. I mean, I, I, my heart went out to Southern California as we were trying to, to balance the surge and do we need volunteers to actually work in the hospital or do we want volunteers for the clinic? So there's something to be said that we've come a long way. Our numbers are going the right way for COVID, um, but but that was a pretty rough time. Yeah, and I would and just say, and it's still a rough time, actually. I oh. wouldn't say that time has gone. Sorry, John. 
No problem. Yeah, and, it, and at the end of the day, you know, if you think about this, you have Pfizer vaccine, which is minus 70 degrees Celsius, right? It has to warm up to that temperature, room temperature for six hours. All these complicating factors that people probably are well aware of on this on this webinar, but we don't want to waste vaccine either, right? So if, if somebody canceled appointment, didn't show up, we're not wasting it. We're putting it in somebody's arm because it's going to be beneficial for the long haul. And, you know, even if that's that's a regular patient who's healthy, if they're there, give it to them. Don't worry about it. Let's just get it done because they have to get done anyway. I think that's what's important. So I'll just stop there. Now, I think uh, that definitely I think you bring up a good point there. Um, you know, uh, it's definitely chaos and it's not organized chaos. <laughs> I can tell you that as much. <laughs> uh, it is it is definitely different uh, depending on which state you are, which which county you are. Um, uh, and we've seen. Uh, you know, we heard about this stuff too. You know, um, uh, are you making differentiation with? Oh, well, uh, the guy is not in 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 the uh, like a revenue cycle person may not be. You know, in in front of a patient, would you need to do that, right? But there are revenue cycle people who used to be nurses and they could be called in to to take care of mm -hmm. patients. I mean, in fact, we have IT people who are nurses who are today taking care of COVID patients in the hospitals. They work for IT, but ideally, you know, they're a nurse, they're a nurse. I'm going to put them to work where they need to. So especially from a sister's perspective, right? We, we, we care. It doesn't matter as long as you can do, you, know, uh, uh, you can take care of patients. Let's go do that. Right. So we've, and we've got IT physicians who, you know, uh, go down and, and spend time with, uh, with patients all day long. So uh, we have to think through this in a different form, right? We have to think through about uh, what is best for the patient? What is best for the our employee? And how important it is for them to do that? I mean, if, if there's a guy who's sitting and trying to manage data centers and doesn't ever see a patient ever in his life, that's a different conversation. But we've got people, you know, who do multiple things across the system. I've got uh, Epic uh, analysts who go and see uh, patients and who work with patients in the hospitals, right, doing rounding, like what John mentioned. So it, there is there is that need. So let's be prudent. Let's understand where we are. Let's make sure that we take care of our patients as we take care of our employees. That's the goal we've pushed together. Meg, it, it sounds like there's a tremendous amount <laughs> Of variation, as we said, state to state. We were talking about large health systems here in multiple states, um, even smaller health systems, depending on their location, could be in multiple states, many counties, different rules, rules changing. Um, and you, I believe, mentioned before that having a tool that uh, facilitates patient communication and can deal with changes as they come up could be very helpful. Um, are you getting a uh, are you happy you're no longer sitting in that CIO seat right now, Dilmos? It's uh, for sure. It's a different kind of stress. I will say that, and um, all my respect uh, to my fellow panelists here. It's a tough time to be in any uh, management and executive position. I think in these places. Um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of variation, as you said, and we've we've got customers in in all 50 states, and as as has been pointed out, beyond that, this is down to the local level in terms of people sort of jockeying around what's the best positioning, uh, both politically and health-wise within these systems. So I think if nothing else, even even before the vaccines, as we were trying to manage the onset of COVID, right, and, 
and telling some patients to stay away and other patients to come in and sort of doing all of that. Uh, if we prove nothing else, we prove that the, uh, the IT infrastructure is really benefiting from any tools that are available to them that have the agility and scalability that's needed for this kind of crisis, right? And I, I, you know, I think that's probably a lesson learned as we go forward. Um, I'm, I would, I'm sorry to say it's probably not the last time we'll need agility and scalability in our tools. And so I think, you know, there'll be time at some point in the future to kind of do a, a bit of a after actions review and figure out what we've learned. But I think that'll be one of the lessons um, in terms of trying to trying to keep up with this kind of demand and what we need and and how we can't rely on some of the uh, labored processes we had before for implementation, configuration, change, change of direction, uh, in terms of uh, reaching out some goals that, that maybe are not even clear. Even as we start out on the race, we may not know where the end line is, as was true with COVID, right? But we have to start making changes immediately. So I think IT in general, not not just my company or not just companies in this vein, but IT in general has got some lessons to learn here. I think the the customers we have, and I'm sure the folks represented here on the panel are doing just amazing work trying to keep up and trying to stay ahead. And uh, I think that lesson will be clear when we get to the finish line here. All right, Sandy, I got an audience question I want to I wanna throw by you. Some of this you touched on before. But you may want to add to it. I don't think I heard anyone say how you are actually communicating with your community. I heard a lot more internal and systems that are being used. But what are you saying to patients that have anxiety? How are you calming them down? Are you utilizing text messages? I think you said you were email blast calls. So we're doing all of it. Uh, Think of all the doors that the patient can come into. They can pick up the phone. They can uh, reach out through a MyChart interaction. They can come to a website. We've definitely built um, coronavirus.providence.org backslash vaccine is sort of our hub for all things vaccine. We're doing everything we can to have each Department of Health website there. So if you're Alaska, come learn what Alaska is saying today, because by the way, what they said yesterday isn't as relevant, you know, it keeps on evolving. So we're trying to make sure that we are helping to um, answer the questions and help people get it. We do have digital tools. We have an app, so you can do our Providence app to connect with it. Um, I found it super frustrating that much of the um, higher level communication was, you know, call your provider. You know, the providers, we, we don't have line of sight in all of our locations to doses for that. And what's actually happening is the doses are getting moved to the mass vaccination clinics. And so how do you manage this idea that you're supposed to use your primary care provider as your main source, I think is uh, something we're balancing. So yes, we have primary care messages going out. So all of our patients have received a message about their local um, guidelines and, and that ability and then helping to understand it. I'm super excited about putting on a vaccine finder. So we believe that this is going to last. Um, This isn't, you know, one and done. We are going to be in this for years to come in helping to vaccinate and really provide all around health. And so how do we build that into the planning that we're doing? And personally, if I had a vision, I wish we could turn these mass vaccination events into health fairs 
and we could talk not just about having a shot in your arm, but what are you doing for your health? Because this is not, it is not just about this shot in the arm. It's about how you're, how you're managing your health ongoing. Very good. Um, thank you, John. I want to get a quick question to you from another one of our friends out there, Mr. Jimmy Weeks. Um, he's hearing from peers that many are having their call centers, service desk infrastructure, and patient portals overwhelmed with a very significant volume increase. You said you were concerned about that in terms of Epic, um, the scheduling. Are you seeing the same? And if so, have you augmented your service desk or call centers? Yes, absolutely. We have seen that. Um, because a, a number of patients who, we didn't have uh, the process for uh, patients who are not MyChart members, we're very rigorous about that, maybe a little too rigorous in our organization. Um, and so we did not, we don't like to collect social security numbers, number one. And that's the biggest factor for patient identification. So you don't get duplicate medical record numbers when you uh, have the automatic creation or the patient uh, creation of new chart. So um, that's something we're looking at very carefully, uh, but because of privacy, we don't wanna collect that information within our systems. Um, so we, we did get overrun, absolutely, Jimmy. We, we got overrun on our service desk. In fact, I have 78 people on our service desk and we had six on the MyChart service desk. So I separate those down because those calls are so extensive uh, and they're elderly patients who need some additional, you know, care uh, to get them through the process, especially even set, resetting a password, which is a lot of them, but they just have challenges. So we've, we've been augmenting that process. We, we shifted over about another 20 people into that queue just to get through the, the call volume and the backlog because so much has been going on and patients are concerned. They want to get the, the shots scheduled and they want to get their vaccination. Makes perfect sense. Uh, but we had some problems because they weren't uh, regular MyChart users. So we established something short-term as a form, long-term as addressing this issue for creating those accounts and hopefully minimizing the calls to both our patient contact center as well as our service desk to support both. All right, we're almost out of time. I want to give uh, a minute to Shri and then a minute to Meg for some final thoughts. So Shri... Um, what are your what are your final thoughts here on so our discussion? The one today? thing we have not talked about is contraindication reporting and number of patients with difficulties after getting a shot. And I want to touch on that for a minute uh, because that has a lot of people worried as well. Uh, uh, what we have seen, and uh, I'll give you our experience, what we have seen is very, very small percentage of people getting any sort of contraindication. Even if that is, it was like, you know, minor and um, um, uh, they were treated immediately. So that is one thing I'd like to put to bed because that, that's a question that I have been asked a million times, I can tell you right now. Uh, the other uh, situation is that how are we reporting that? Uh, we have an obligation to report it because the, it's, it's a requirement. Uh, so we have a process. Uh, we follow the structured process that we have to report that back to the state because the state uh, is going to follow up with the patient, make sure that the patient does not have. And then what are we doing with the second dose? That's the next question as well. So these are these are things that we know we have to report on. We, we, we've published enough information on our websites for patients to get information back to them. Uh, we, use, uh, we use Salesforce uh, for our uh, communication. So we did communicate a brass blast communications to all 
all of the community membership. We do have a lot of folks in the community, not just our patients in the community. So we do a lot of communication with them. And uh, last but not the least, you know, uh, we have shared uh, with our patients who come through my chart. We did blasting through that so they could get that information as quickly as possible. Um, that's only in the state of Illinois, uh, Illinois, not in Indiana. In Indiana, it goes through the state uh, process. That's it from me. Thank you so much for your All right, Meg, I'm going to let you take us out. What's your final thought, wisdom, words of advice, parting information? Oh, no. With that kind of stuff, yep. I'm kind I of... I teed it up big. That's yep. Horrible. So, it, you know, it occurs to me as I'm listening uh, to everyone today and looking at the questions, um, going back to what was said about how this, you know, came at us so quickly. The vaccines were approved quickly. We had to move quickly. The environment was changing. The, the input was changing. The guidelines were changing. Uh, we in healthcare have always been excellent at sharing information, learning from each other, establishing best practices, really even in absence of any you know, guidance coming from at either the federal or the state level. And I think we will be again. But truthfully, as I listen to all this, it came at us so fast, we haven't had time to do that yet, right? So we're all, everybody is still sort of in this miasma of trying to see through the fog and figure out what to do next. I think uh, forums like this and other forums that will help us determine best practices coming out of this and how we move forward uh, will be invaluable. And we just haven't had time to do it yet. And from our perspective, from a well perspective in terms of patient communication, uh, we're learning a lot. We're seeing a lot about how patients want to engage with their providers. Uh, what's, what's too much communication? What's the right level of mm -hmm. communication? What kind of messages are good to get uh, through text, what things really need a human touch, et cetera. So we'll have to distill all that. And I think, think we'll come out ahead in the end. We'll come out stronger. So thanks for the opportunity. You got it, Meg. Thank you. All right. That's all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team. You can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Sri Bharadwaj, John Kravitz, Sandy Andrews, Meg Aronow, and I want to very much thank Well Health for making this event possible. And I want to thank you, our attendees. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.